following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Proverbs. We will not be only in Proverbs, we'll be a little bit of everywhere. I was about seven years old, and we had the end of the year school field trip. Um, and we went to the zoo, saw all the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, um, enjoyed it very much. My grandmother got to go on this trip with me, and we finally got to the end, you circle up, before you get on the buses, you got like 20, 30 minutes in the gift shop, right? So, which I had no money, but my grandmother gave me two crisp $1 bills, and this is a great day for me, um, but her one, her one, uh, prohibition was you may not buy candy with it, you need to buy something that you remember from here. So my first priority was gone, um, and then I methodically perused the gift shop to try to find what I could possibly enjoy from this place for $2, and I, as I did, of course, I went around several times and realized that my, my budget was rather limiting. Um, they are there to make money. So I had $2. At the end of the day, though, I, uh, I was very proud of myself. I got something that was kind of fun, a little bit scary. I got one of those rubber snakes, bright green rubber snakes all coiled up. Um, which, by the way, I mean, I think for every little boy eventually becomes some sort of a whip to hit their sisters with, which, which eventually ends in spankings anyway. So, like, boys, listen, don't buy the small green rubber snake. It's not worth it long term. Um, but I brought it home, played with it, you know, after time. School ended. Uh, summer went on. And we were finally in this glorious period called the summer. No school. But what I forget about oftentimes is that means that there's more time for me at home to do chores for my mom and with the family. Um, and on such a day, there I was in my room, cleaning my room, organizing it, which meant I took everything that was on top of stuff and shoved it underneath my bed. And then my mom came in for inspection. And the first thing she does, yeah, you got another hour in here. Take that all out from there, and I want it all clean under there. And then I want you to put it back on the shelves where it's supposed to be at. All right. So I started cleaning it out. And back I get to the edge, and I find this rubber snake. I must have dropped it down the edge or something like that, and I forgot about it. Well, I was somewhat bored and I did not enjoy cleaning my room. And even though, like, that's some of you ladies enjoy that so much, and men too, that's cool. I did not enjoy that whatsoever. So I was totally preoccupied with something else. And as I found this little rubber snake, um, evil came upon me. And I, and I became very uh, excited. Um, so I paused the story for a minute. And I should tell you that my mother detests and is deathly afraid of snakes. Um, I think that she thinks that like the devil still is in most snakes. Uh, like that it wasn't just Eve, it's like all daughters of Eve have this experience with snakes. Um, I can remember one time my mom was taking clothes off the, the clothesline and she had laid them like half folded in her inner basket as she was going along. I think she had to go get another basket for pins or something like that and she came back and there's a garter snake in there enjoying the nice warm sun, and she lost it. Like, she didn't do laundry for like four weeks. Like, it was terrible. I stunk terribly. That part's not true. But it did make her very scared about leaving those things for any reason. So she would, in the midst, if she had to go back and get something, she's going to take her basket with her back inside and bring it back out. So she's not a fan of snakes. Big, small, it didn't matter. Like, I can remember looking at, like, 
World Book Encyclopedia as a kid, and I hit the snake page, she'd be like, we don't look at that. No, no, no. And she, did not, she does not like snakes. Or if she comes on the TV, she'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. And it would, she, it would freak her out. She could never watch that one scene in Swiss Family Robinson when they're like fighting that big snake. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, but she did not like this. So back to my story. Uh, cleaning the room, evil comes upon me. And I think, how can I make my mom think that this little rubber snake is real? How can, I, how can I get her? How can I, how can I make her scream? So I devise a couple plans. I think about it, and uh, I, have this, I have this grid. I finally settle on one, and I'll explain it a little bit. Um, but I, I put it there, and I leave it alone. I consider all these multiple options, but I head back to my room and say, this is the best one. I planted that terrifying joke, and I say, okay, I'm going to go back, wait it out, see what happens. You can't ruin the surprise. You're like, hey, why don't you do this? You know, that ruins the whole thing. So I was patient. I went back, so much so that I kind of forgot about it. I went back into my room, cleaning my room up and getting stuff all out on, underneath the bed. And about a half hour goes by, and I, and I hear my mom kind of hurry in from outside. She was in the garden. She was working on something. She kind of hurries in and, and goes into the bathroom and shuts the door. And I go, oh, here it comes. Ah! Christopher! And, I, and, and at that moment, I realized that my, my, uh, my, you know, my snake had, had been found. Um, now, this was all through, like, a closed bathroom door. So, like, all that you just heard was muffled. You know, she eventually comes out. And what I had done here is I had, I had taken, and when she had lifted the, you know, the, the toilet seat cover around this, the lid of the, the seat, I had entwined my rubber snake staring up at her. And she did not enjoy this, apparently. Um, and for a moment, that little green demon of a rubber snake gripped her with fear. And she was overwhelmed by fear, um, which eventually wore off. And then I was the one in fear. Um, and I know what you're thinking. It's true. I guess I'm a terrible person for doing that. But it was, it was, it was great. It was so good. People fear all kinds of stuff. Um, my mom fears snakes. My wife fears spiders. Um, my daughter, Evelyn, fears large dogs. I mean, just weeping and crying. Um, I used to be afraid of the dark. Sometimes I still am. Um, the Bible addresses two types of fear, though, that I want to talk about today. The first is what we've just kind of talked about, the fear of snakes and spiders and the dark and other people and bad situations and those things which could bring us some sort of harm. Um, the Bible does talk about this several times. and th Oftentimes, it's because it can either bring us harm or make our situation unfavorable or it hurts. And a lot of these things are realistic. There's fears that are, in a sense, legitimized by what they are. They can even take life at times. Um, but, you know, and it can cause us to do things like worry. It can cause us to have anxiety and uncertainty and, and place our trust in other things. It causes disciples who are ready to walk in the water begin to sink in the raging seas when they should be looking at Jesus Christ. It causes those who are supposed to step up in leadership in Israel and hide in the baggage instead, instead of doing the right thing because they fear this leadership position. It causes great prophets of the Lord who are to lead the country out, speak the word, instead turn on their heels and run the other way when they hear that the queen is gonna, says that she's going to kill them. All these things are motivated by fear and the wrong kind of fear. All these different fears, they get it wrong. And we know from first, I mean, 2 Timothy 1.7 that this is not a fear that's given to us by God. 
God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. And so all these fears get it wrong. They're not understanding reality as it is. We may struggle with it. That's why we struggle with sin, because we don't actually understand reality, and we fail to believe. But all these things are, are, again, are wrong. They're all condemned by Scripture, all these types of fears. But then you have a second type of fear. It's the only justifiable one. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the one who is not like anyone else, a being so terrifyingly powerful that he has the ability and the right to destroy your soul. Matthew 10, you guys probably remember this. Um, Jesus is explaining the persecution will come to his disciples, and he's explaining to not be fearful. And it's going to be scary. He wants them to know that there's a bigger picture, though. So let me read from verse 26. He says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaimed on the housetops. Key in, here we go. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There's only one person that can do that. The devil can't do that. No one here on earth can do that. There's only one person who can destroy your body and your soul. And that's God himself. Fearing God is very different from all other fears. All other fears are condemned by Scripture, like I said, and are essentially a sinful act of unbelief. Like there's a problem there that we fear something else, and it changes our behavior completely. But the fear of the Lord, well, that's different. There's something very different about this. In fact, not only is it not condemned, but it's actually encouraged, and it's commanded for us to do. Last week, we went on a little bit of a journey talking about uh, the fact that we realize we need wisdom, we need knowledge, and so much so that everyone in the world does. But then as believers, we talked about as we are exiles and strangers here, as we long for a better country, but we have to live here for now, and it's a good thing, we need something that's much greater than the sages of ancient times or mentors to come in our life and speak about good things. We need supernatural knowledge. We need the wisdom of God in our life. And so, we saw from four, the four out of potentially five wisdom literature books that that is centered in the fear of the Lord. That wisdom is much greater than just something that you learn, but rather is centered at the fear of the Lord. We talked about one, Psalm 111.10. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Job 28.28 says, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then other places throughout Proverbs, it echoes this. In Ecclesiastes 12, we know at the end it says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. All of these different passages and more proclaim that wisdom and knowledge are found somewhere. And that is by, find, by being in the fear of the Lord, by fearing him alone. So I think the obvious question for us then today, as we kind of got there last week and said, we need to hear from him. We need to understand this, and we realize that wisdom can only be found in the fear of the Lord. The obvious question for us then is, what is then the fear of the Lord? How do I, what do I do about it? Can I do it? What is it supposed to look like? What does it mean to fear the Lord? I need to know this. If we find answers and thoughts about this all throughout Proverbs, and we know that we want wisdom, and we find it a bunch of other places throughout Scripture, uh, I think it's, as, as it's like a recommended starting point for us, I think it's on us to think about this well and make sure we understand what we're talking about when we say to one another, hey, fear the Lord. 
or I want to live in the fear of the Lord. So, what is it? We need to recognize that this is a term as a whole, the fear of the Lord. It's not just a, a collection of words that if we understand one word, understand another word, and this or that, we can kind of just put all the relationships together and it's, and it's nice and neat. It is a whole term in a sense that's used many different places throughout Scripture. And we realize then that there is some sort of semantic range that we're going to start to understand through this, how it's used, what it's used for. It's not always a one-to-one. The word fear itself throughout Scripture has a very wide semantic range. We understand that it can mean something like terror all the way to awe and reverence. And so in there is lots of middle ground as well. So what are we talking about here? Is it the same type of fear that we have of spiders or of, or of snakes? I'm going to probably go and just read a few Scriptures here that's going to show you it's, it's not that type of a fear. Um, and we, we rather should see what Scripture has to say and then respond accordingly. If we want wisdom, that's where we have to go. If we look at the word fear alone, again, like I said, we have that wide semantic range. The scriptures contain examples of those who met God and lived to tell about it. If you remember Moses at the burning bush, he's one who hides his face. Do you remember why he hides his face? He actually says because he was afraid to see the Lord. Proper fear and understanding, that response, he understood what it was like. And then there's the people of Israel who in Exodus 20 they are terrified of this God and his mountain. They don't want anything to do with so much so they say, Moses, you go talk to him. We don't want to deal with this God. He is a terrifying God. We don't want to deal with him. You be our, our mediator. And so Moses responds, if you remember this, and he says specifically, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. One instance, he tells them, don't fear. This is the type of fear that you need to have before you that causes you not to sin. It's an interesting play on words that he's using. He's using the same word here to make sure that you understand there's a right way to fear and there's a wrong way to fear. Do not fear in this way, but you better fear him in this way. In other words, don't fear God as a God of terror who is there to judge you and who is there, and he certainly can, by the way, and should, and he is terrifying judge to those who do not know him and submit to him. But, Moses says, I'm here to tell you, fear him in the right way, in a way that causes you to trust him, in a way that causes you to repent and to stop sinning. Fear is the right response to God. It is the proper posture when we encounter a holy being, the holiest and most righteous being in the universe, the actual creator. Fear is not something, though, where we should be in response to God as though we are some sort of scurrying away little cockroaches because we're trying to get under rocks and cabinets and away from everything else because we don't want to be crushed by this God. Instead, fearing God in the way that Scripture prescribes is to know Him in all of His terrifying glory and respond correctly. To realize that the only proper response then is faith, repentance, and to run to Him for protection as the fierce God that He is. In the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia, if you remember this, Mr. Beaver is telling, um, he's telling the children all about this land and he eventually starts talking about Aslan. And he says, this is who he is, and he starts explaining him. And eventually they realize he's not a person. They realize he is a lion. And Susan asks the question, she says, is he quite safe? And Mr. Beaver responds, safe? Of course he's not safe but he's good. I tell you, he's the king. 
a proper response, recognizing who he truly is. He wasn't dressed up as a lion. He was a lion. Was he safe? No. But he was good. And it was on purpose. Again, C.S. Lewis teaching us through this, understanding our proper response and looking at how we ought to see God. A right understanding of God will see that there is no place to hide. There's no place we can get away from such a holy, all-powerful being. And he is, as a lion, to be feared in every respect. Only when we see him properly as the God of the Scriptures do we realize how we are to stand before him. It is a stance of fear. But it's not as though that we, one that we realize that there can only be one of two responses to the king. Either we can be terrified and we can run away and we continue the way that we always have, trying not to be crushed by this God, or the other one. A fear that leads to obedience and love and worship as the one and true king. For the believer, the fear is not fear alone. If we stop there, this is not correct. We're not understanding this correctly. Fear, rather, for the believer, the fear of the Lord is an acknowledgement of that all that he is and who he is. It is an awe-filled knowledge of God that leads us to reverent obedience knowing his great power, and properly aligning oneself underneath the domination of this lion-like king. This is the type of fear that does not drive a person away from God, but rather it actually brings him close to him because he realizes there's nowhere to run. It is ludicrous to try to run away from this God. When a person meets God, they see him for who he is, and they either submit to his lordship in obedience and biblical fear, Or they choose to cower and run away because they realize that they do not want to stand before this king. But neither do they want them as their king. They do not want to recognize him as the king. And so they run while remaining the lord of their own life. The second choice, by the way, if you haven't clued in on Proverbs, is absolutely foolish. You cannot outrun God. You can't hide from him. Your day will come. You will be judged. God will crush the unrighteous for their idolatry and for their ludicrous pride to think that they somehow have the right to not submit to this lion king of the, of the universe. It's ludicrous. What a fool someone is who does not fear the Lord. They do not rightly understand who he is. But this fear is not just some sort of distant fear or great respect for some distant, transcendent, impersonal being. He is a relational God. We see this throughout all of Scripture, but most poignantly, I want to take us to Deuteronomy 5. So you have your Bibles. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're coming up on, in chapter 6, the great Shema. You guys know it. And if you read these passages over a few times, it becomes apparent that the fear of the Lord and what you know from chapter 6 is the love for the Lord, the love for the Lord are often used in many of the same ways. And oftentimes the spaces that each of these commands occupy kind of overlap and you start to see and you wonder if they're almost used interchangeably. But we know there's a purpose for understanding and using words. Most can use them haphazardly. There's a purpose for that. But you start to understand that each one is informing the other. And as Moses used them interchangeably, not perfectly, but as he uses them, he's building a case to understand the fear of the Lord, but also to understand the love of God and love for God and what that means. 
So let's go here. There's a reason for both, like I said. But Deuteronomy 5, this is where the Ten Commandments have just been delivered to the people. They have responded appropriately. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They realize that Moses has gone, they has met with God, and he has returned. That's amazing. They respond in awe and fear and willingness to obey. Let's start in verse 28. Moses is speaking. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to me, to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments. According to God, you get that? Their, their posture is correct. They're, they're responding the right way in fear and keeping of the commandments. Skip down to chapter 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Get this, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all, this, all his statutes and his commandments. Skip down to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Skip down to verse 12. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in the midst, a, in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Talk about a mixture of love and fear. We're getting a front row seat here to who God is. And by the way, don't think that this is some Old Testament thing only and that God has somehow changed and now he's not the same God that he always was. We all know that theology. He is immutable. He does not change. This is the God of the universe. Listen to what he says at the end there. And he destroy you from off the face of the earth. They are called to fear God and to love him in all that they have, to be in a covenant relationship with him and continually fear him. It is more than merely a mental choice then for them to be like on team Yahweh. Instead, they are called to a covenant relationship which has with it commands, a life that's lived in worship and complete subjection to, to God himself. Instead, again, it's a call to relationship. In fact, this is a call to a relationship with the God of the universe, the king himself. A person who fears the Lord acknowledges the authority of this revealed God then. He realizes who he is, and he says, this is the actual authority in the universe. Whether or not I decide to obey him as the authority or not, that's my response. But that doesn't change the fact of who he is. He is the king of the universe. And so, I want you to think about this for a minute. Essentially, this call to fearing the Lord is actually an evangelistic call. Chew on it for a minute. A call to fearing the Lord, as we are commended to fear the Lord, is a call for us that is evangelistic. A call to completely change our lives. It's not something that we can add to our theology or just add another philosophical idea. Oh yeah, okay, God is the king, this is that. No, no, no. It changes us radically. It completely orients us differently because we used to be at the center of the universe. We did what pleased ourselves. Of course we did. That's what makes sense because I didn't know one else that's the authority. 
yeah, I'll submit to these guys because I kind of have to, but really, I'm serving myself. When you realize who this God is, there's only one proper response, and that's for you to step back and put him on the throne because he's God. He is the rightful lion-like king. There is no one else. You are your own idol if you think you can get in that throne and run your life. You're miserably wrong. Talk about the proper mixture of love and fear. He is calling us to something completely different. The call, the fear of the Lord is evangelistic, and it's calling us to remove ourselves from this and placing him back there where he belongs. To fear the Lord, you must properly understand who God is and place yourself under his authority in fear and obedience. This is not just like a change like in your philosophical ideas and how you think about things. It's a total change of your life. And like I said before, I'm repeating it on purpose, it is radical. It is going from one way to going the exact opposite way. From a realm that you thought you used to rule to being the servant and the slave to the one who sits on that throne. This doesn't happen through some sort of general revelation like the beauty of a sunset or the grandeur of Niagara Falls. Those things are wonderful, and they're enough to condemn us, by the way. But they don't tell us of Yahweh, the Lord. They don't tell us who he is and his precepts and his righteousness and how we are to react then to him. How we know him then is only through the revealed word. That is how we sit this morning to hear this word as it is. The very fact that the Lord is important, the fear of the Lord is important, comes to us and is rooted here in revelation, in, in, in special revelation, not just through the beauty of the trees, not just through the beauty of the sunset and how the, how the cosmos works. Rather, we're told of him through this and we're told him to, to fear him through this book. And if we know anything about this book, it points to one person specifically. It points to the person Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who can make it possible for this dirty, unrighteous sinner to be accepted by a perfect and holy God. He's the only way. Without Jesus, we could only fear God actually in the first way. Do you get that? If, we, if, if it wasn't for Jesus, we couldn't fear him properly. We better run and hide. We better be the cockroaches that we are. Get under anything you possibly can get, so get out of his way. Because he is a lion and he is set to destroy those who are unrighteous. And that's all of us. Without Jesus, you only have the first option. You don't get the second option to fear him the right way. And so, as we look at this, we realize without him, there would be no means of salvation. There would be no protection from this God. There would be no joy for anyone who isn't God. That would be it. God would not be the God of mercy and justice. He would just be the God of justice to crush unrighteousness. All of Scripture points to the king who lived, died, was buried, rose again, ascended on high to the right hand of the Father, and who will come back one day. That, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. The fear of the Lord has a direct line to the cross. If you don't get that, then you don't fear the Lord. Anyone who says that they believe or that they fear the Lord and doesn't believe the gospel is a foolish person and a liar. They do not understand who he is. A person who says this again, and I'll take it one step further, a person who doesn't live the proper way, a person who doesn't live like fear of the Lord is important, or yet they live as the king of their own life, is also a fool, even if they say they're a Christian. True fear of the Lord would drive them to the good news of the gospel. It would drive them to it day after day after day, always depending on the grace of God given in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
it would cause them to rejoice in the cross work of Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is a call to understanding the entire world, all that we know through the lens of God as the rightful king of all. He is on the throne, and we are then to live in a way that recognizes and embraces him as our true king. In short, fearing the Lord changes your entire life. That's what the gospel does. It's almost like you went from darkness to light. It's almost like fearing God would change you from being dead to being alive. Kind of like the gospel does. If you do not understand the fear of the Lord, there's no way you're going to understand that. The, the, the gospel is righteousness and life and good news to us. Because otherwise, without the gospel, there's no good news. It's just all bad news. We deserve to be crushed. You're a sinner and there's a holy God. And he's out to crush you at the end of time. Without the gospel. That's why the gospel is such good news. Because there is a way for us to not only be forgiven, but restored in a relationship that was started at the beginning of time. He wants that and calls us to be reconciled through Jesus Christ. So in short, again, fearing the Lord changes your entire life. Fearing him leads us to action. Notice some of the things that I read. We talked about Ecclesiastes, Deuteronomy, and Job. They each have something that comes along with it. I'm just going to read it again. I want you to see if you can pick up on it. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, fear God and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 5, 29, oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and keep all my commandments. Job 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. I said something before that may be hurtful or, or maybe it just scares you. I said that I'd go a step further and say that a person who says that they fear the Lord and yet they live as their own king of their own life, even if they call themselves a Christian, is a liar and a fool as well. If your actions show that you care for only things that you love, you may want to seriously think about your posture before God. Your hobbies, your job, your money, your home, your career, your friends, your family, your time, your... Fill in the blank. What's the common thread? Who owns you? Who owns you? You are not your own. And those who fear God understand that. Fill in the blank. I don't care. You're whatever. It is not yours. I'm not talking about being a good person. I'm talking about recognizing your place as a creature who needs to hear from God and submits himself to the teaching of the word. I'm talking about obeying our Savior who calls us to serve and sacrificially love one another. I'm talking about what it says to proclaim Christ to our world around us. I'm talking about a life that is lived as though money and talents and family and all things are good gifts for the use in the growing of his kingdom. To tell others about him and to find joy in Jesus Christ alone. I'm talking about living our life in worship and holy fear of the one who can kill both body and soul. That's who we're talking about. Don't confuse like, what I'm saying that somehow this is some sort of merit badge you earn. Like, i got to do these good things now. Oh yeah, Chris told me that there's a fear of the Lord, so I'm supposed to do these things. No, 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 no. That completely, you're missing it completely. If we understand who he is, and you properly get the picture of this lion, there's only one way that you should proceed, and that's fearing him. Now, as we saw, that doesn't mean cowering and running and staying underneath rocks, but rather, instead of running away from him, running to him. And that is the only way to him is through the gospel of Jesus Christ coming as he did in the crosswork of Jesus Christ. 
And so we fear him and love him if we understand him correctly. They, are, they come together in that point. They are not the same thing. They come together in our common understanding that this is the king. This is the king of the universe who is a ferocious lion, able to and ready to rip apart those who are unrighteous. I realize I'm speaking bold, strong truths, but I don't know how else to say what the scripture says. Read through the prophets. It is not nice. It's graphic imagery over and over again. He is a terrifyingly powerful God. So, again, I'm not talking about doing good works for good works' sake. I'm talking about responding to who he is and living appropriately. You don't play with a yo-yo in the, in the presence of a king. You don't bust out your, widget, your, your fidget spinner when he's trying to have a communication with you of some sort. When he has commissioned us to live a certain way, as his possession, by the way, you don't go and do whatever you want. Enjoy these 70, 80 years that we have here for your own enjoyment. You realize who we are before the perfect and righteous and holy God who has redeemed us. That's why we sing these songs to remind us of the gospel and remind us that we have been bought with a price for his glory, not for ours. When we see God this way, we will respond properly in fear to him. Okay, so we've, we've worked through quite a bit about understanding the fear of the Lord, but I want to bring us back to last, last week in the Proverbs. So take your Bibles and now go back to Proverbs. We're going to go to chapter 2. But I want you to listen. This kind of blew my mind. So I am looking through what is wisdom, where do I get it, and I'm seeing over and over again throughout Proverbs and I'm seeing it through the other wisdom literature that the way to wisdom starts and its foundational truth is to fear the Lord. So I'm like, okay, I got to get that right if I want to get wisdom. But the fear of the Lord certainly is the foundation of wisdom. We've spent all last week and kind of this week working on this. It is the starting point in our pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. But ironically, it is also the goal of wisdom. This is where my mind was like, in other words, we eventually find that the person who fears the Lord will get wisdom, but those who are wise and full of understanding will fear the Lord, and they get it. I want you to read with me. Let's, let's look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He is the actual treasure, not wisdom. Coming back to him, if you know this phraseology, God is the gospel. He is the treasure, not even wisdom. Because you know what wisdom does? It points right back to him. Saying that in me tells you all about what is right about the universe and so I can properly orient you and point you right back to the creator. So that you understand both the beginning and the goal is the fear of the Lord. So we properly orient ourselves and we realize that God is the one that actually has it. The most logical thing that anyone could ever do is to know and obey God. He is the treasure. You are a fool if you treasure anything else in this life. 
Commit then, brothers and sisters, commit ourselves. Let us commit ourselves to knowing, to loving, and fearing this God properly. And those that are here today that you don't know this God, uh, friend, please do not be a fool. If you do not know what I'm talking about, or if you've heard this and you shake your fist against God, do not be a fool this morning or any day. Your time will come. We will all stand before the judgment. We will all be judged in one day. All of mankind will, and you will face him either as one who fears him and cowers and wants to run away and hides because you refuse to acknowledge him as king, or you can face him as one who accepts the truth and worships him as the true king and fears him and has the fear of the Lord. This can only be done as we know through Jesus Christ, trusting him alone, placing every bit of our reliance squarely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. What have we been doing in Galatians? We see this over and over again. If we're trying to fulfill the law, we're trying to do these things, and we're trying to do all the right things, we totally miss it. That's not the point of the law. Only one person can bring us back into fellowship with God, and that's Jesus Christ. And he did it. And so what we're called to is not to try harder. What we're called to is total reliance on Jesus Christ. Day in, day out, day in, day out, day in. It doesn't matter. It's not one time and now I'm good. I'm past the gospel. No, today, this afternoon, after you sin again and again, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, etc., etc. Some of us sin more than others. Mine is like then and then and then and then and then. You don't outgrow the gospel. You don't outgrow the need to fear this God. He is what it's all about. And he is asking us and being quite polite, if I do say so myself, to let us know, you need to fear me. And he's not some jealous God like that he is like not worth it. Like he's the God of the universe. He created you. He is a perfect and loving God. So I say all that, friend, I beg you, listen to him. If you do not know him, listen to him. Listen to this word. You are here for a purpose, and that is so that you would hear the truth about who he is. He is a terrifying, powerful lion ready to rip you to shreds, but that's not all who he is. We will stand before him, and we will be completely ready for judgment, and we'll deserve every bit. But the glory of the gospel is someone else stood there for us and took the hit that we deserved so much so, and Jesus Christ is the one who took all of our sins. Do not fear for your life as though this God is out for you and has made no provision for your soul. He has. And so run to him for protection through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those who have believed and who love the Savior, nothing is different for us. You don't get past the gospel. You don't get past the fear of the Lord. You are called today to fear him as the righteous king, the true king of the universe. And whenever we put ourselves or anyone else back on that throne instead of him, it's idolatry. And we show that we don't understand and that we are fools. So let us not be foolish, brothers and sisters. Let us fear him properly, love him, and out of heart keep his commandments. Not because it's some sort of box to check, but because it's the proper way to respond to the king of the universe who loves us and has made us for his own glory. So let us fear him that way. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time in your word, is teaching my heart to realize how small I am and how enormous your plan is and you are. We ask that our 
hearts would be aligned to worship you, to fear you above all else, to love you and keep your commandments, to not be distracted by the things of this world, but to love you supremely. We thank you for your truth. And we ask that you would bless our time as we go out from here, that day in, day out, we would fear the Lord. Thank you for your provision and being our protection and our great shepherd. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.